Okay, let's start the show. Show music. But the show music. We're exiting the show music. Hello, it's House of Decline. Hello. 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 And this week, third member Jay is here. Yes. Yes. It's me again. Returning favorite Jay. Welcome back. Is back again. Thanks for having me, boys. Yeah, and and you're here for a rare issue episode. We're talking about <laughs> we're talking about the issues on this episode. Yeah, that's why we have to keep our relations with China for their rare issue mining. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're making NFTs out of all the issues. Yeah, and uh, they're selling them to uh, coked up college students. <laughs> nice. Diamond hands, diamond hands. Yeah. So we're talking about hugging Nazis in recently. In the online discourse, there's been some uh, there's been some statements made about the efficacy of trying to convert right wing people. Is it politically necessary? Is it morally necessary? Well, we'll explore these questions today because I, I think it's an interesting issue and one that I really haven't. I have opinions about it, but I haven't quite made up uh, my mind on every aspect of it. So I think it's worth exploring. And Jay is on because. Uh, Jay, uh, I believe we'll have some very good insights into this. I believe uh, Jay is equipped to have some insights into this. So um, what started this line of inquiry was a tweet. A tweet was making the rounds, and it has 45K likes now, and it was hotly debated in the leftosphere. And the tweet is from underscore, at at underscore baseball, and it reads... Dude, imagine being 15 and having fallen down the alt-right rabbit hole, come to understand the problems with that ideology and seek out new community, and some morally lucky fuck tells you that restorative justice doesn't count for you. So the, that is the tweet, and, and the opinion being that um, there isn't a lot of space in leftist communities for alt-right people who have converted uh, for Nazis that have converted, and and uh, there won't ever be, and we should do more outreach to former Nazis hmm. uh, so, or people willing to change. And uh, this started off uh, sparked a hot debate. Yeah, what does that mean? Does that mean like adopting a couple Nazi ideas just to throw them a bone? <laughs> <laughs> Well, and we also, like the what's the veracity way. of this statement, though, right? Because if you really think about it, like, and, uh, you know, you look at, you know, the propensity of sort of left tube or bread tube or whatever, and, you know, you can see, you know, if you watch an interview with uh, uh, Natalie Wynn of ContraPoints or uh, Abigail Thorne of Philosophy Tube, like, they will talk about, you know, they the amount of people who have come to them and say, listen, I was, you know, blackpilled. I was in the, you know, I was in the alt-right. I was all super Trump. And, you know, I started watching you and I realized, and now I am a Maoist. So, you know, <laughs> I, like, I think we have seen that at least on some level, there is an audience for that group that not only has converted, but it seems to be has already been embraced by a certain left discourse. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That is also the argument of continued relevance for lesser YouTube people like Vosh and Destiny, who whose argument is said, look, I can use the N-word, because if I use the N-word, you know, all of these kids who also use the N-word, they'll like me. And because I also use the N-word, they'll vote for Bernie. I just wanna <laughs> I just wanna interject that I was rewatching Nathan for you last night. And uh-huh. there's a real 
really great moment where um, he tells someone that his nickname for Nathan is actually the N-word. Uh, and then make it's a job interview, and he makes the the job interviewers call him by his nickname, the N word, which I laughed for about twenty minutes. <laughs> I love that man. Yes. It's an excellent show. Uh, also, a beautiful producer, How to with John Wilson, yeah. captures sort of the same um, awkward humanity. Um, and what I like about Nathan for you too is it's like. It could be a lot more mean-spirited, but it isn't. Uh, it actually kind of is gentle with its weird, weird subjects. Um, so uh, let's not stray too far. Sorry to bring that up. Uh, <laughs> no, it's all right. Yeah, what, what are your first impressions what, of that tweet, Stephen? I mean, I didn't, I don't know. I don't know what, it, what they, I guess, what do they want? They want more acceptance? They feel like they're being I, excluded? Yeah, I feel like there's this, yeah, there's this idea around that the left is repelling potential people because we aren't welcoming enough to converts, mm -hmm. uh, specifically converts that used to be part of seriously like crazy philosophies, like, you know, genocidal philosophies, you know. Um, so the pushback to this was from a lot of, uh, you know, black people and, and Jews saying that, Look, I get it. It's it's you know nice that you want to bring these people, but please don't fault us for being suspicious of you know quote unquote former Nazis. Uh, and you know some people uh, they'll give examples of of people that had pretty radically right wing views that have now adopted a more left wing persona are another YouTube person shoe on head. It's uh, so in. when you call them converts, my my first thought is converso from the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> <laughs> right? Do do you know yeah, this right. concept? The converso was a Jew that converted to Catholicism to escape the Inquisition. Mm. Right? Are these but fascists? But they were still like a third class citizen, right? Like it became yeah. like this. Like it's like you can do it to not get you know purged, but we're still not going to treat you like a good Christian. So that mm. is that what's happening to, <laughs> to these uh, I... reformed fascists? Are we going to put them in ghettos? <laughs> <laughs> that would be that would be I don't know maybe let's get well, away. I mean, let's let's like you know get a little more granular about this though, right? Because it's like what are you know? I think a question we might have to ask is you know who is like who is in these far right groups? Is why are there far right groups? Why are they appealing to people? I think especially you know the tweet uh, references you know something you said when you were fifteen, blah 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 blah, and I think it's kind of unquestionable that there is that younger people are becoming radicalized towards the right wing and mm -hmm. you know not to be all adam curtis about it but i do think that you know the appeal of something like right-wing ideology in you know late capitalism whatever blah 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 is that it gives meaning to the world it, it gives you an idea to, that navigates the world and if that if and, and listen that might not be the only thing but if that is if we accept that at some level then it makes total sense that you could appeal to them with a different vision of the future, a different vision of the world uh, that might be that, you know, the left offers uh, instead of the truly nihilistic vision of the world that, you know, mainstream politics uh, expresses. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of easier to believe in a simplistic Ayn Randy worldview than it is to believe in Joe Biden, where yeah. you just have mm -hmm. to be constantly making concessions to reality. That's why it's like the pod johns are insane to me. Like I get being an Ayn Rand fan, but being like a fan of being disappointed constantly, 
What's your What's your game? Here? I like. I I can get it. I can get. I can get down with that. <laughs> I'd say it's a very Protestant, um, stiff upper lip. Like things will always be bad, but we are just the best at bearing disappointment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think there's a self-satisfaction there, too. I, I mean, the liberal thing is like, oh, all you fools think you can change the world. We're the only ones who know that we're just careening towards death and just trying to slow it down as much as possible. Hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. Which is, again, not appealing, especially if you think about it, you're 16, 17, like, what, did, what is the world? Like, the financial collapse, uh, the... Uh, uh, election of Donald Trump, like this, you know, you look out into the world and you go, yeah, things are bad. I need to get a tribe and, you know, buckle yeah. up. Mm -hmm. And it, I, I think libertarianism is attractive to a lot of uh, young people, too, because it's also it's also a much easier way to square the circle of the cruelty of capitalism. Well, if we do have this hyper individualistic philosophy and what I've observed in the world is that pretty much it's everyone out for themselves, then why not embrace, you know, the philo that philosophy which resembles the rea reality I'm in, where as opposed to neoliberalism, which lies to you and says, you know, we're dancing in a rainbow with all the races. I'd like to teach the world to vote in perfect <laughs> harmony, you know. Um, so I think libertarianism is sort of like... Um, and for me, something I also want to talk about is also why I wanted to have uh, Jay on is because uh, we all came to left-wing or pseudo-ish, leftish politics uh, after right-wing phases earlier in our life. So would anyone like to uh, share about their right-wing phase? If they're embarrassed, I'll go first. Um, well, let me, mine hold is on. Very let, me, let me make one addition. So I had a... Um Contra what I think of is more contrarian. That I, what I'm trying to get over is the contrarianness, where I naturally try to go against whatever the prevailing winds are. So early in life, I was a communist because I was at a right-wing Catholic school, and so yeah, me too, me too. <laughs> so I was just like, "What are you talking about? Communists are the best." And then later, I would go, you know. When, um, in the build-up to the 2016 election, I became more right-wing, um, and that is accurate. Then I got out of that, but I kind of switched between in, in, in a weird way, and I think as you get older, you tend to settle down. Uh, my thesis is these, these, these kids will settle down, um, and that, you know, remember the, the end of the book, Clockwork Orange, not the movie. Because the book, the uh, the ending of the book is basically that he grows out of it. <laughs> he grows out of it, his 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 insanity, um, and maybe yeah. it could be that these people are just sort of temporarily insane, and once they get a little older, they'll just yeah. calm down. <laughs> yeah, and think? I think you know, um, usually the audience of these bread tube people are like twenty five year olds who are having these existent mid 20s existential crisis crises or these early 20 year old you know just 20 year olds in general they're just messes <laughs> as a 30 now i'm 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 i'm, I'm yeah. waging war against the 20 something yeah so now that um, we're a 30 gang we're smart and good yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. but no it is I, teach, the uh, I teach zoomers i teach that 18 to 22 crowd and mm -hmm. i am constantly inundated with them and i can tell you uh they're, they're not doing all right they're having, a, they're having a bad time. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, that's fascinating. I'd love to hear more. How, like, is there, without sharing any 
details that can identify them. Well, what's going on? Well, I mean, especially on the Zoom times, and I mean, this is just a, a quick digression, uh, but you know, it's been, you know, my office hours are, are really just therapy sessions. Like mm -hmm. I have students just come in and be like, I like, I am not okay, and my mom hates it. And I'm like, okay, but what does that have to do with Alfred Hitchcock? Um, <laughs> but like, I had a girl oh, call sweet. me on Zoom, and she she is, we were, I was teaching the movie Safe by Todd Haynes, and she wanted to write her paper on it. And she's in this giant penthouse uh, hotel room, and she's like, oh, my parents got me this hotel room so I could write today. And she's like, and the reason I wanted to write about safe is because it's about a incredibly spoiled, mentally unwell person. And I am an incredibly spoiled, mentally unwell person. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, know thyself, mm -hmm. you better mm -hmm. work. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I, I, everyone likes people with self-awareness. That's why people like Better Call Saul, because he's evil, but he knows it. It's true. And he's not hypocritical. People people generally value I found that people generally value non hypocrisy more than almost anything else. Like he's a Nazi, but he's a consistent Nazi. Makes you better yeah. than some sort of waffler. Yeah, any hip hypocrisy is the worst thing in the world. Worse than <laughs> genocide. Yeah. Well, but it, I think like... that instinct too is is the reason why people are very instinctually skeptical of of, of conversos. You know? Mm. <laughs> yeah. And also, like, I think, you know, the point that Stephen made earlier about the contrarianism, I think that there are different there are different entrances into a certain kind of thinking. Right. We've been talking a lot about libertarianism, but I don't. And like, maybe we'll get there because we're still kind of doing our, you know, telling doing mm -hmm. our story times. But uh, I do think that like kind of breaking you know, kind of the different polarities of the graph, mm -hmm. I think, are going to be important because mm -hmm. I think that there, yeah. the dip, there's a difference between how the edgelords get there than the libertarians versus the lanyard people. Like, I think they all have turned into this cohesive mass, but they didn't start that way. Hmm. Man, lanyard yeah. fascists. That's a spooky thought. What, but, what are know, the lanyard also, people? Oh, the, oh <laughs> no. you know, like uh, PMCs, you know, just uh, PMC libertarian fascists. Like JD Vance. Okay, so you mean you mean like the like my boss at the insurance company? Yeah, like, precisely. He's got yeah, a nice precisely. haircut. He always wears a suit and nice clothes. And like I tried to keep up with that, and like I'm mm -hmm. I'm wearing holes through my shirts. Like how does this guy, like he sits in an office? You put your elbow on the armrest. You wear a hole in your nice shirt. That was a hundred bucks. I yeah. Like, I'm I I had to quit because of the shirt thing yeah. <laughs> and the Trump supporting, but <laughs> it's mainly the but shirts. But yeah, those guys, it, I would argue that with the ed edgelord contrarian fash, it's much, they're much easier to get at. Um, and it sort of depends who gets at them first because they just need someone who they see as vaguely non-threatening to just do the goodwill hunting thing and say, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. And I think, you know, right. ContraPoints is that's that's what she's really good at doing. And that's what Philosophy Tube is also really good at doing. It's sort of this like non judgmental space for you to question your uh, your weird ideologies. And I think the person who also on the other side of the coin, the person who capitalizes on that is Jordan Peterson, who <sighs> also says it's not your fault, but right. for a different end. He's been psycho lately. <laughs> he's, he tweeted, he's got 12 he, more rules. He for tweeted life. today. He tweeted, my God, not Scotland. Because Scotland passed a hate crime law, and I'm, it's like, what the fuck reaction is that? My God, not like who gives a fuck about Scotland? I'm sorry. So, 
Soon you won't even be able to do a hate crime in Glasgow. That was their culture. They're removing Scotland. <laughs> the center of the well, world, Scotland. Well, Soon it's you won't like the even SNP be able. To... Just got elected. Like mm -hmm. they've been. Like they've had a pretty like left wing progressive government for like a decade. Yeah, he's mm. psycho. He's a psycho man. Um, yeah. I, I have I have been so far able to not reply to any of his shit because if I reply to it. I'll just get blocked or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just it's not yeah. worth it. It's not worth replying on Twitter. Yeah, you're gonna be canceled by Michaela. <laughs> oh, How please. I came yes, please. to. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd, I'd get her to cancel me. Cancel me <laughs> right in the fucking mouth. Yeah, Zoomers yeah. are gonna have a cancellation fetish. It's gonna be weird. Like some people do it. Some yeah. people are humiliation fetishists yeah. on Twitter. That is a thing. Cancel me, Daddy. Yeah. <laughs> oh man uh too many digressions but have you seen that photo of the guy that whipped out his penis at a feminist rally no. and like all of these women are just angrily angrily as they should like just reprimanding Ooh. him but he has a look of pure serenity Ooh. on his face because he wanted that he knew what he was doing yeah he, is, he knew what he was doing <laughs> Okay, uh, last digression. These... I saw okay. a homeless person peeing in broad daylight just like out and I was like, oh my god, it's been so long since I've seen a penis in real life that is not my own. <laughs> He's cheering, yeah! Yeah, I was like, yeah. Uh... <laughs> oh my god. Frickin' um, so, so, um, my path to conservatism or temporary conservatism was through the very embarrassing medium of Penn and Teller's bullshit. Uh, that, that was a bunch of magicians tricked me. A bunch of magicians got me to be conservative. They swindled me, but um, because you know, you're, I was very stupid as a teenager, but wanted to have some. Not unlike uh, Stephen, actually, I would say in order to be contrarian, yeah, communism, bro. Mm -hmm. You know, it's great. I would I would go around with an Ushanka with a with a hammer and sickle because I just didn't understand it. I knew it made people upset though, yeah. so that's why I would do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and but then um, I started watching the show, and especially how the libertarians especially get young people is through weed, because libertarians have that issue. Shouldn't weed be legal, man? It's like yeah. Yeah, weed should be legal. And then you watch all the other stuff where it's like, isn't secondhand smoke research bullshit? Wait, what? Mm -hmm. Yeah, secondhand smoke research is. They actually had that episode where they said secondhand smoke isn't harmful. It's real. Whoa, whoa, man. Um, I mean, they had a lot of good episodes. They had they had the episode. A uh, great episode is the one where they say Mother Teresa was a ghoul. I'm always a fan of that. Yeah. Um, same with Christopher Hitchens, who you know, very problematic. Loved going to war with Muslims. Uh, and he is another guy that I worshipped for a very oh. brief period of time. At um, yeah. because. But also because, you know, he there is that rhetorical power of dominance, that sort of and that's what people like about Ben Shapiro. But I don't understand it because it's like he doesn't have that same, you know, heft that someone like Christopher Hitchens could just <laughs> really fucking humiliate and dress someone down in an argument. Yeah, there's no this, heft. No heft at yeah. all to that man. <laughs> no, yeah. You, no. You, I would like the idea of Christopher Hitchens flattening Ben Shapiro. Oh, uh, my God. I would I would pay money to watch <laughs> them just have a 10-minute conversation and just watch, like, Ben Shapiro just melt into, like, a puddle of shame. It would be so good. 
Uh, that would have happened eventually. Oh, that would have been good. That was, that's very, it's like, uh, it, 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 not enough is, there's not enough praise heaped on the Zizek Peterson debate, which is. <laughs> it was, that was great. Yeah. Big, big source of humiliation for Mr. Jordan, who apparently has, hasn't really read a lot of the communist literature, but neither have like, I. I refuse so I can to read any of it because I am a tenured professor. I couldn't possibly read one book. Mm. Wow. One. I've you know, read all big. of Nietzsche, but I couldn't read one book. Look, he's beyond good and evil, okay? He's Jordan. <laughs> but I'm bummed. Um, yeah. So yeah, I continued that for a while. I was I was very much a libertarian well into college, um, huh. and especially espousing. I was transphobic, very transphobic, well into college. I was like saying stupid shit, like you know, you can't change your chromosomes, so it's not worth it. And receiving general approval from you know the friend group that I had formed around me, but everyone after you know weirdly you know even though we went to a very progressive progressive and scare quotes college uh it wasn't until getting out in the world and sort of you know living life and having your ass kicked that you know as steven said i became gentler you know i became some people get hardened by that experience but for me it gave me at least more compassion in general for people and realize oh, everyone's just trying to live you know uh so i think it was that and also just meeting you know a bunch of a bunch of radical queers who were nice to me so that i think there is something to be said of like yeah including jay you know because even well into meeting jay i still had very centrist liberal views and it was probably him just you know uh did <laughs> like getting rid of all of my liberal views uh chipping away at it over the course of time and then the election of donald trump where i was like okay it all leads to this. It always all leads to this. I get it now. I understand. Um, so um, how would, uh, what would, Jay, what would you say is the best way to um, get someone onto your side politically? Well, I mean, you know, you can suck their dick for five years. That usually, that works. Uh, <laughs> but... <laughs> No, that's my that was my running joke is that like yeah. I mean I don't know if this is too much of a reveal but Alex and I were a couple for a long time and, I, and then I was like we dated for five years and it, and it, it took a podcast to radicalize you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know they were funny. <laughs> they were funny guys. Who are you talking about? Um, Chapo? Um, Who are you talking about? Yeah, it, I was think Chapo, it was Chapo, but it was it was two podcasts. It was because I was listening to the Pod Johns. I was listening yeah. previous to Pod Save America in the run up to the Trump election. They had a podcast called Keeping It Sixteen Hundred, right. uh, the offensively horribly named Keeping It Sixteen Hundred, which I found out through Patton Oswalt. Thanks, Patton. So, um, and I was using that as as sort of methadone for my encroaching fear about the Trump era because I was like. Okay, these guys are Obama staffers. They're technocrats. They're, you know, like the Avengers. They got this shit. They got the Harvard knowledge and shit, right? They know what's going on. So I kept, you know, suppressing my fear about the Trump era and just kept listening and being like, ha ha ha, Hillary is of course going to win. <laughs> How silly. How silly of these people. And then the shit finally happened and then I heard their mea culpa episode. And my reaction was, you know, stunned silence. And then, you, you, you lied to me, like you a, pod junts. More like a mayo culpa. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh. You heard it. You didn't Why hear didn't, it the first time I had to you say You miracle it twice. I didn't. Them. Yeah, miracle <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. Um, but going back to your question, Stephen, I guess, and I'll, I'll wrap up, I'll do my intro with uh, the answer, is like, I, get, I think out of, you know, maybe the people in this Zoom call, I would probably at every stage of my life was more overtly ideological. Like, when I was a right-winger, I was like a young conservative. Uh, I am, you know, a... Marxist now. Uh, there was a journey, you know, there. Uh, but, you know, for me, like, I, my uh, family are refugees from the Soviet Union. So I was always raised with a sort of not even like an active anti left idea, but just kind of this idea that, like, yeah, <laughs> communism bad. Mm -hmm. Like, we had to leave the communism. So because Jews. And uh, so that was kind of always there. And then my dad married a woman who is an insane person. Uh, like truly an insane, uh, crazy narcissist, alcoholic. Uh, but she, uh, she really got me into Ayn Rand, and she was an Ayn Rand evangelist. Uh, and I read the I read uh, Atlas Shrugged cover to cover when I was thirteen. Uh, I'm pretty sure I've read everything Ayn Rand's ever written, uh, at least that's published. Uh, and so I became a real sort of ideologue that way. And I think that's what I mean with a difference between, say, the edge lord and the, a truly libertarian instinct is that I wasn't doing it to be edgy. I was doing it because I, I bought into the myth, which is the myth of libertarianism, which is that you are your own god. Morality begins and ends with you. It's basically a solipsistic universe. And also, you're the smartest person in the world, room mm -hmm. and everyone else is dumb. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a real instinct amongst a especially how a certain brand of a young person can get attracted to this, which is someone who's, again, yeah, did well academically. I was fat. I was gay. I was bullied. I was whatever. And I was like, no, no, you are the plebs. I am the true master. I know that I, I one day you'll all work for me and then you'll you'll see. You'll see. <laughs> mm. OK, um, um, well. Yeah. I have well, uh, so you, the yeah the mm -hmm. other question to that is what got you out of that that's you know I said what got means what got me and Steven out of it is just experiencing life and being being made gentler by it what because you were more overtly ideological something greater must have happened to you something a greater experience must have happened to you I would say, I mean, one is definitely experiential. Like I, you know, I've worked, I've worked since I was 13, but it was the first time I got like a real job like that at Starbucks where I kind of real, and I became management that I realized just how broken that system is and how it really isn't a meritocracy and how it is and how the, uh, you know, I was expected to, you know, I got into a lot of trouble at Starbucks because I, you know, someone would call and say, you're over hours, you need to tell this person to go home. And I'm like, well, I'll tell I'll ask them if they want to have a shorter shift, but it's illegal for me to cut their shift after it's been and to try to compel them to do it. And I would tell everybody their rights. And I got mm. into a lot of trouble yeah. for telling people their rights. So that was mm. one big realization. The second was is in my I ran for student government uh, under the conservative slate. Uh, and our whole thing was, you know, the student politics is very corrupt in Canada and that's true and it's very you know they're the major political parties on the left tend to do a lot of funding of that kind of stuff and I was mm -hmm. like yeah that's corrupt that's bad I'm gonna be on the other side and it wasn't until we had a backdoor meeting with a bunch of conservative MPs who were basically backing us that I realized oh everybody's fucked mm -hmm. so those were the two main experiences and frankly reading Slavoj Zizek <laughs> yeah Zizek. Hmm. I wonder how many conversos he got. <laughs> that's fascinating. So that's more to me a tale of 
um, like self-originated shifting of political beliefs. And what is often in concern to people is is the other way. How do you do it to someone who is this, like a subject? Because um, to do it to yourself, and and then this as a follow up is, is can we learn anything from how we change our own political beliefs and our efforts to change other people's? Um, I've identified I think three, or at least methods of uh, changing someone's political beliefs that correlate actually directly with our uh, attempts to rehabilitate prisoners. Um, so the first uh, method would be via conversation. Uh, the second method would be through um, creating a tribe that that person wants to join because of benefits to the tribe. And then the third way is through surveillance and oppression or government surveillance and oppression. And those are, the, those are also three ways we try to rehabilitate prisoners. Um, through therapy and conversation, through group uh, meetings, which is the tribal one, and then parole officers are, are surveillance and oppression. Um, what I hadn't considered was the way you, what you just talked about was your own personal uh, journey, which may, how, how can we encourage that? Because that seems the, the most effective way. Well, I almost agree with the poster, right? Where I do, like, I think, I think in anything, we have to accept that there are just people you're never going to get. There are lost causes. Uh, and, and so I think you can't use them, as, you can't use the exception as the rule where it's like, if you tried and failed or somebody is just hopeless in that direction, that can't be indicative of all future efforts. Um, so I think, and also I think not being self-righteous, right? Like I do, I am somebody who believes that you should, you know, politics is about conflict and about trying to win. And so I think on, in a political arena, I'm very hard that way, but I think in a, you know, not making people defensive, just talking to people like they're people, uh, because I think, you know, people, you know, if you start listening to them and saying, oh, okay, and then you say what you say, and it, I mean, I know it sounds stupid, respectful dialogue, but I think when people are not on the defensive, then they're able to listen better. And then if, you know, just them knowing, you know, I know it's stupid, but it's like, you know, this society became more homo less homophobic when more people started meeting more gay people or people started coming out and there was a gay person in their family. And it's, I think, you know, you could that could be the same thing for these right wingers where it's like, you know what, that commie is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're not all trying to eat my brain. Uh, yeah. So I think, you know, kindness is a, you know, I know people make fun of it, but I think it's a very important uh, because I think by shutting them out, then you're, you've given up the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that being said, I think more people are, I, I think there are some people that are way better equipped and are better emotionally equipped, especially lo look at us. We're three white guys that all had conservative phases. I'd say we're all way better equipped to say de-radicalize someone emotionally. One, because we aren't fearing that they're, you know, going to, that we aren't fearing that, you know, they have genocidal intent right from the start because we're, we're white. And, you know, two, because we can relate to them more on an implicit level. Um, but, yeah, so I, I think that, you know, g going back to the original tweet, I think that's what people took offense to. Like, it's incumbent on all leftists to be inclusive to these former Nazis when there are some people that have actually very good reasons to be highly suspect of them and not want to give any emotional labor to trying to do that. And I think, you know, we... 
we, we can be accepting of both things. And I also think there is a there is a type of Nazi or a type of even not even Nazi, just a type of right wing person that it is absolutely not politically expedient and not politically good to try and go after, which is, you know, uh, specifically a big criticism I have of Glenn Greenwald now is he is trying to go for that audience uh, by appearing on Tucker Carlson. Because when we talk about how we were de-radicalized, it was all as a young person. When we talk about, you know, ContraPoints or uh, uh, Philosophy Tube, their their audience are these twenty-somethings, right? So it's at that age that you know your your mind's made up. You're in this prolonged twelve-year identity crisis. You know, you still can be converted with relative ease and then have your converted principles stick with you for the rest of your life. Whereas Tucker Carlson's audience are all these entrenched far-right people who are very old and uh, converting them to more sensible beliefs is not, uh, it's not in the cards, really. They've already made up their mind. But Glenn Greenwald will insist that he's getting his message out there. The, 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 uh, in, so he needs to appear on Tucker Carlson in order to sow his message that the government is spying on you and you should mistrust the government. And but, but what I don't like about that is that message is also flattering to this audience. They already believe that. They mm. just believe that the government is run by lib Jews, you know. Mm. Um, and so it, it's different than when uh, Bernie would appear on. So, so in activism, whenever my meager amount of activism that I've done. I could tell that I was winning someone over if I heard those magic four words. Wait, is that true? Uh, mm -hmm. And with uh, so when I was uh, canvassing for the vacant homes tax in Toronto, I knew I had grabbed someone's attention when I mentioned like this worked like several times. I said, you know, all of those condos in downtown Toronto, they're empty and you're basically paying for them. And they said, wait, is that true? And that's. That's how I got signatures for the vacant homes tax. So I, I think, and that's what Bernie was good at. He was good at conveying the material consequences of leftism to Fox News people. And you'd see him do it on town halls where someone would say, I don't like socialized health care. And Bernie would be the, you will save this amount of money. Then they'll say, I like socialized health care. Um, so I think, you know, you can justify Bernie's appearances on Fox News for that matter. But Glenn's, on the other hand, there is no wait, is that true moment. They already know the government is spying on them. They already know the government is evil. But they think it's just the liberal deep state cabal, which in some ways it is. Well, and Glenn Greenwald is smart enough to know that. Like, I think there, there also the difference is that Bernie Sanders is trying to make political change. And I think he actually is doing kind of what I was do, saying, right? Why was his appeal to these right wingers is because he wasn't the Biden people. They, they weren't deplorables. They weren't these, you know, white mold mass coming to take or take everything good from civility. He was like, no, these are good people who are suffering and they're reacting in a frankly not illogical way with their you know, suspicions of the government and uh, and I'm going to communicate them like they're people. Glenn Greenwald mm -hmm. is enough media savvy to know that he is just cashing in on the rage machine. He is not, yeah. he is, that is not a good faith effort what he's doing. Uh, so I don't, I don't even think they're, they're comparable, but uh, to go to an earlier point you were making is that I do think that, you know, we, we also have to ask like, are we trying to convert all Nazis or are we trying to stymie kind of the pathway like you know yes the 70 year olds who watch tucker they're not gonna you're not gonna get them and i don't think it's worth trying uh i think anybody who's part of an actual organization card carrying you know fascist organization i don't think it's worth trying i think the 
you know, for the long term and even the short term is it is the focus should be on young people or younger people because these are, you know, first of all, they're not going to die in the next five years, most likely. And they're uh, they're gettable, you know, put your efforts where they're effective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think even when you're going for like the harder Nazis, it's like it's sort of like therapy. They have to want it. You sort of have to wait for them to come to you. You can't just, you know, bust into a clan rally and be like, here's my here's my anti-fascist training card. Did you all know you're very fragile? But I can help you with that. Um, actually, speaking, there's another topic I wanted to uh, uh, talk about in terms of Daryl Davis. Have you guys heard of uh, Daryl Davis? Only You've from uh, Davis. you mentioning him right before the show started. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so he has... Um, He's, he's a black man that um, is famous for de-radicalizing Klan members. Mm-hmm. And there's something very interesting to be said about him, because I don't think you can't really seriously say that what he does is a bad thing. Some people try to say that, but I think it's like, no, he's giving people a better life. It's actually an act of beautiful compassion. A lot of black people hate him is because, uh, you know, you're giving more time to these fucking crackers than you're giving to your own community. And I that's totally sensible. There's a movie, I think it's called well, Accidental that's, Courtesy. That's not a good critique. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I It's not it might not be a good, but I understand where they're coming from. It's I like, know. why do you put all this effort into, you know. Because they're trying to people. kill the, the black people. Yeah. Well, and that goes like because you were saying you were saying something similar with the base doll tweet too, Rich, which is right. Yeah. Like I can understand emotionally why somebody might not like this, might they might not want to engage in it, why all these other things. Uh, but I really don't think there is a debate. Like if if what we really want is political change, if what we really want is for our left specific projects to be implemented and the only way you can do that is through people power you need to frankly spend time on people you find repulsive because you can't ju- you cannot create a political movement of just your buddy smoking bongs like you need yeah. like uh, real political organizing it involves changing hearts and minds i know it's a bullshit phrase but like and frankly for more radical politics like truly transformational politics the people who truly have a vision, even if it's the opposite one, that believe that they can and want to change the world are a lot get more gettable, I think, than people who are, you know, placid and nihilistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but on the as a pushback to that, I would say it's what my main conclusion, I'll just say my main thesis and conclusion, what I do think is that it's always morally good. It's always morally expedient to try and convert these people. But I think sometimes it's not always politically good because I sort of sometimes do agree mm. with the anti Daryl Davis activists where it's like, you are wasting effort on this. Right. This could be better spent. Like, why why attempt to de-radicalize? And, you know, the people that Daryl Davis is de-radicalizing, these Klan members are still voting Republican. They're just not Klan members anymore, you know? So I think the morally repugnant people that I would rather people focus on are libs. I think libs are much easier to convert to leftism than fucking Nazis or even fucking right-wing people, even fucking working-class populist right-wing people that you think all your high-minded weatherman ideas are going to appeal to. No, the culture war is of the utmost importance to them. That's what they care about. The people that you need to get are people that can be appealed to on, you know, a level of 
sort of reason and fact, which unfortunately is fucking libs. <laughs> Sorry. Well, they suck, but you need them. Facts, though. It can be emotional. Yeah. You know, Michael Brooks, you know, rest in power, buddy. Uh, he, uh, he used to say this a lot, which is that, you know, the image that the mainstream media creates of the kind of Trump voter or the, uh, you know, uh, small town populist, uh, right wing populist is that, you know, because you're right, the culture war is a huge part of it, but they are tend to be very culturally right wing and very amenable to what we might consider left wing political projects, right? Like most, if you ask most people, do you want free healthcare? Do you want, uh, do you think you should be impoverished for breaking your leg? Like these are actually widely popular uh, policies. It's just that those mm -hmm. people also hate black people. And they yeah. also hate trans people. And so yeah. they're, they're, the divorce of culture and actual politics is like, I think if you actually explained the benefits of a union to a lot of these people, it would work. Uh, but they just don't want to be in a union with somebody who has a different color skin. And so, mm. you know, and that's, and this is actually the, th the third category that Stephen brought up, the almost surveillance uh, coercion one. I think that almost works in a certain way. Like I think institutions like unions like even though you're you know you might hate black people in your heart but if you're in a union with them then kind of by by advocating for yourself then it doesn't matter if you're racist because you're still advocating for everybody's like you're all advocating together you're all in, the, in it together so it becomes a basically a structural imposition I'm, I'm sorry i'm ranting but my last point is you know if the it, it's some, uh, something similar let's say what they did in south africa right with the uh, truth and reconciliation commission right they you know, like there are very few places that have been more fascistic than, you know, pre than apartheid South Africa uh, with just the racial segregation, the torture and the humiliation. Uh, and how did the country deal with it? Is they basically they said everybody gets full forgiveness as long as you say everything out in public. Uh, and it was more complicated than that. But they basically per ever all the white people, all the police officers, they went up. It was all televised every minute of it. Every part of the transcript was there. <laughs> and they went up and said, I did these terrible things. And these are the crimes of our country. And, the, you know, Mandela, his point was that, you know what, it's like we can punish everybody. We can have retributive justice. But then what? We're just going to have a bunch of smoking craters or we look at ourselves and who we actually are and look at the terrible things that happen and say never again. Yeah, there's also a, an interesting, to me, um, difference between allowing someone to exist doesn't mean that you can't stop them from doing certain things. Um, so if we have to have Nazis we should be able to stop them without resorting to appeasement or concessions. We should have the power to efficiently stop them in a humane way. Uh, and I don't know what that looks like. Perhaps mass surveillance is, <laughs> is where we're headed. I think it well, is. Well, we're already there. Might yeah. as well use it for, for good. A while. Right, yeah, I, think, yeah. I mean, I think a... that's where we're headed. Nice panopticon. Except instead of the mass surveillance being done by the government, uh, the the neolibs are making sure that it's done by four or five tech corporations that they are in bed with and are insanely corrupt uh, with. So that I would prefer the Chinese model where it's out in the open, and you right. you know it's the government instead of some weirdo at Google or Jack mm. from Twitter. 
See, you know what the techno... I predicted the way that we're going to get out of this neoliberal hellscape is with a technological change. Um, and that is going to be the one that converts us into a you social society where there is no privacy and we just behave like bees. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think... I don't. I think the idea of a no privacy society is actually not that crazy, mm -hmm. uh, and yeah. I do think that is going to be you know a major cultural shift. Is it so, that because I don't think young people value their privacy again interacting with them. Like I, if you ever want to hear a group of eighteen year olds audibly gasp like they're in like a like a fifties cartoon, tell them you don't have Instagram. Uh, just <gasps> right, and it's like, and you know, and I'm not on social media, and I'm not one, and you know what I mean. But like, I th the fact is that they're posting everything. Everything's out there. Every feeling, thought, emotion, personal detail, scar, mm. you know, Even, food yeah. item. They don't the value the value of privacy. Is does it's go it's going away, and there's no getting it back. So we might as well say fuck it. Yeah, even their senses of humor are all about being comically confessional it's like lol my therapist says you know i can't stop killing myself lol you know yeah you know that's that's uh, funny so yeah. I, I think it's funny <laughs> it is funny i mean it's definitely funny but it's uh, just also indicative of where they're at um uh so have the, the thing about this hugging nazis thing too is um well, I myself have gotten out of a right-wing spiral. Oh, uh, one other point I would like to make is that, so in all of our respective conversions from conservatism, they were all not from like a real hard conservatism, but rather a conservatism more informed by the values of liberalism, which I think was interesting. Um, you know, um, I was a conservative pod John listener. Stephen, when you were in the lead up to the run-up to the election, I remember you getting really into de Tocqueville, which um, is a very interesting thing. Well, I was, I went to, I was taught a very conservative political philosophy in senior year of high school that basically all caught up with me at once. Um, I, you know, um, not, they were not big fans of Hamilton. They were bigger fans of Jefferson and you know decentralized mm -hmm. government uh, no no so i was really into no no centralized government um but you need a centralized government you need a bank even though the banks suck uh it's hard you need money apparently even though i think you <laughs> i would like to ban money but we have to live with I mean, these we need things. money right now for sure and you know and that's another you know a really uh, i think really cool point Stephen, is that you know because that was also part of my journey as i was you know liber libertarian no government and then you know before i went you know you know and then i had a left anarchist phase you know really informed by some people like david graber uh and because again it was still that like even though i i saw the injustice in the world and capitalism is bad i still had this I think, I guess, culturally embedded belief that it's like, no, no, government bad, centralized mm -hmm. bad, everybody, we're all going to have our own little automized, you know, and it, does, and it doesn't work. And that's how I kind of got to the other end of it. Yeah, you yeah. can't, you realize that we can't all be like artisanal laborers building right. really nice little clay pots that fulfill us. And Jefferson's yeah. view of that society had like underneath it is just imagine they're standing on black bodies there's that's what they're standing on in his artisanal farm 
utopia <laughs> is actually a, a massive grave. It's a mass grave. And once you realize that um, kind of stuff, it's, I mean, yeah. But I think the point is that our conservative phases were sort of coming from a good place, I think. Is that what you mean, Alex? Well, it, it just, they were informed by the idea that they were informed by, uh, I guess, more or less individualist philosophy. The idea that people should have personal autonomy. Um, I, which I think, you know, that is, that is the thing that capitalism skews and twists and turns into something horrible. Um, but I think that view is the, you know, ultimately your political view should stem from that humans should have bodily autonomy. And from that, I think all other political views flow. Mm. Um, and, um, it's when people stop believing in bodily autonomy that you start to enter the more fash beliefs and the beliefs that are harder to crack because you believe that some people should be able to have dominion over others and you believe in most cases people should be able to have dominion over others um and i think that's the real hard ideological fash belief to attack hmm. um and the one that's not worth attacking and that's who tucker carlson's audience is which is why glenn, glenn greenwald sort of sucks yeah, but I think that that's really where I, that's the overlap of kind of the two polls I was talking about right at the beginning of the pod, right? Where it's like there is the, I think the one, the I think we were all kind of in a similar boat, which was some sense of meritocracy, some sense of individualism. And I think meritocracy really does create, because if you, it's a garbage system because it does, it creates that anyone who is doing worse than you deserves it, right? Like it is a, insane spiral um but there mm -hmm. is another and so and I, I think a lot of that comes from a superiority complex and i think that is a lot of the fash pipeline but i i think the peterson pipeline is actually a very different one and i do think that there is maybe a story that is not the story of the three of us of these incel people these people who go on and the, the internet and they become radicalized not because they are buy into a philosophy that gives them power but actually they are radicalized by basically demeaning themselves and like, and you know, and uh, you know, oh, I'm the, you know, you, these incel forums and they're all, like, they're just people talking, my dick is so small, nobody's ever gonna love me, I'm pathetic, I'm gonna die alone. No, you're gonna die alone even more aloner than I died alone. And th that is, and that, you know, and that, that, that creates a different kind, you know, a rage in a certain sense. And that rage, uh, I think it's, you know, I think before when we were growing up, before the whole social media thing really exploded, <laughs> I think those were two different groups of people and ne'er the twain shall meet. I think now in the current media landscape, they have become this weird new alt-right block that we're talking. And so, they're, you know, again, talking about hugging Nazis or rehabilitating people, it becomes even more complicated because these two groups of people that historically were divided in some way on the radical right are now, you know, the, the suit, you know, the suit guys are now hanging out with the guys who, uh, you know, are, have dirty smelling balls. And <laughs> that's, you know, the guys with clean balls are hanging out with the dirty ball guys. And that actually creates a real uh, bump in the road for. Yeah, they got real ballidarity. <laughs> <laughs> okay, totally off topic. Have you guys heard of the Baldo? No. No. Okay, look it up. It's a real product. I know you're going to think it's not, but it is worth looking up. B-A-L-D-O. And is this crazy man has invented a, a basically a device that allows you to use your testicles to penetrate a partner. 
and hmm. you, it, it, it turns your balls into a dildo. Oh, cool. And he's And he purports that there are ballgasms. And which is a, a, yeah, well, I came up with fifth base um, freshman year of college, <laughs> and I and I that it involves uh, penetration with your balls. Um, but the <laughs> method that I thought of, I edited Wikipedia and screenshotted it before they took it down. Um, the method that I invented involved like a, a, a circle that you would insert in the anus to keep it open enough so that you could get the balls in. And the, uh, the baldo seems to be like a fantastic news for us uh, in this community of bald, yeah, bald yeah, penetrationists. Yeah. Well, contribute to the Indiegogo. Yeah. For fifth base heads, yeah. get the baldo. Go-go. I should, po- uh, I should your... post my screenshot. I still have the screenshot. <laughs> also like i just feel like like logistically i feel like the motion wouldn't be comfortable i don't like i guess it's like bouncing on a pogo stick rather than a thrust uh, it's doing like those it's fake be a down moves. motion like on a yeah, yoga the ball deep knee bend fake porn yeah. move you know you've seen those you've seen those but no one does that in real life because it's not pleasurable yeah like the amazon position in porn they're like <laughs> i like the amazon position yeah, i haven't heard that it's uh, like it's where it looks so like they trap uh, you in a warehouse and pay underpay you for your work so i think the amazon <laughs> position is where the guy so i only watch like straight porn but the guy is Lame. on his back sorry guys and then the girl is basically on top. She's standing up, and his legs are behind his back almost, and she's doing 100% of all the... And the guy's in a very, like... You, you never see straight guys put their legs back behind their head. That's you def, that They never want to do that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sweet. So, so now that Weak. you're seeing it, it's very funny. It's very funny to, because it's one <laughs> step away from being... He's in the pegged position, one step away from being pegged. Which I would yeah, I would endorse, I know, uh, have, having done it only once and had a terrible time. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's like often with that porn sex where you're like, this is the worst. Yeah, and it's like it can't be good for the female partner either. It can't feel like straight male assholes really want to be exposed that much. It's just like the brown eye of Sauron. <laughs> yeah. Oh, don't do a callback. Ever seeing, ever watchful. Call back to our previous <laughs> episode. Which was yeah. turn around uh, brown man, eye. You know, turn around brown turn eye. Around yeah, brown eye. Good callback. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know when when uh, when Frodo puts on the ring and he, he hears the he sees the flaming eye of Sauron. The farting eye of Sauron. The, you hear the flames and it goes. <laughs> but the brown eye of Sauron goes. But <laughs> <laughs> he sees it in front of him. Um, so um, back so on topic, <laughs> fascism, hugging Nazis. So. A lot of this is hypothetical because I have never in my life successfully converted anyone out of like a hardcore conservative frame of mind. Uh, My ongoing project is my dad, who I still love, uh, but who has gone down the alt-right rabbit hole. And uh, will occasionally, but I think he likes talking to me. I think he likes having an adversarial sort of discussions with me. Yeah. Because we know, you know, we're both not going to give up on each other, which is kind of nice. Um, but I recently, in my attempting to chip away at his uh, worldview, I tried to do a reverse double bluff toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. So he was complaining about Gina Carano and uh, saying that, ah, they shouldn't have fired her. And I said, you know, Dad, there was a type of old conservative who would have said that the need to air your grievances out on social media is for little pussies. Do you want to be a little pussy, Dad? <laughs> you know? And that got to him. That something clicked in his head. He realized that, oh, 
the culture war, maybe it is for losers. Yeah. Maybe it is for jerks and, and it's stupid grievance bullshit. And for a second, I could I could see it get to him. And uh, but then, you know, he, he went back on it. You just went uh, to your dad still, and you're like, dad, whatever happened to the Gary Cooper type? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Basically, I said, you know, I, I tried to Gary Cooper him into materialism, uh, which for a second, I think I'm going to try that. I'm, I think I'm going to try that again because I think it's working. You know, I I guess I mean, my I my dad is somebody who has become basically a lefty. Uh, in a lot of ways, shape. My dad was—he was also red pilled by Ayn Rand by that same uh, lady who was his wife uh, <laughs> at the time, <laughs> and she—and uh, he got really into it, and he was really into that kind. And and he's always been a corporate guy, uh, but and you know, over the years, especially over the last three, four years, I think since Trump, and you know, and I've—I've I've been, you know, listen, I've been a commie for almost a decade now. Uh, so he's—and he, we've always had good conversations. It was never terribly adversarial, but you know, he hear me out and when i was there uh over the holidays back in ontario um you know we were talking about it talking about capitalism talking about the market just kind of clearly how everything broke down and you know and he's very much like yeah no like this whole experiment we started during reagan is clear you know it was a big social experiment and it went wrong and so you know my dad was never you know particularly racist particularly fash uh like he always accepted me for being gay but like these the the implicit fascism of radical libertarianism and radical capitalism is something that not even through my own kind of efforts but just by his living in the world has dissuaded him from it uh and has led him to basically accept all my left critiques uh and i don't like i don't really have some much to conclude from there other than i guess there is hope that middle-aged you know 50 something year old guys can um, from you know go through similar journeys like we did in our you know adolescence yeah but once again your dad while you know he was coming from a place of sort of a more liberal philosophy as opposed to like a hardcore us against them carl schmidt philosophy you know that a lot of these that a lot of these people on the right have and i think there is a meaningful distinction to be made between you know what earlier we called the edgelord the edgelord conservatives uh, and, and, you know, sort of like, I'm a conservative because I want to do what I want, essentially. Right. But so it's easier to get to them because you can make them realize, actually, capitalism prevents you from doing a lot of what you want. Uh, so, but there's a different type of conservatism and conservatism, the us versus them, the real the real clan people, you know, um, that I just don't think it's worth getting at. And or it's worth getting at, but it's just never politically necessary to get at these people. But I do think someone like if you do have the wherewithal and you want to do something incredibly noble and gracious for a person, then, yeah, do something like Daryl Davis, you know, do uh, do try and, you know, de-radicalize people because um, it's like a, a beautiful act of compassion to make someone not have a death cult drive anymore. It's a nice it is a very nice thing to do for people. Um, and it is a form of, while I wouldn't say, um, while it's not going to do any big structural change, it is a form of mutual aid. Sorry, folks. Mm. <laughs> I do not agree necessarily, um, but I'm not sure. I'm very, it's very ambiguous territory for me. Um, part of de-radicalizing or attempting to de-radicalize someone strikes me as being like too like we generally speaking we don't 
try to change people anymore in our culture right we're not right we're except for this <laughs> and committing crimes if you commit crimes <laughs> we can try to change you and if you have an improper political belief we can try to change you but most other forms uh, right or am i off base no, here? I, I would i would just say that it, it maybe but i also think you know we that you have to bring up the whole kind of conversation about mental health right because i think that there is a lot of you know i think you know i mean i'm not saying this in any way that critical necessarily i probably could but it's like i don't know a lot of people are on medication that makes their brain to do different stuff than what the brain was doing before yeah like frankly that's mm. how we deal with a lot of you know misbehavior in children is by chemically altering them mm. yeah that's a huge thing i, I should have yeah i slipped i guess it slipped my mind that is I have to go back and think about everything some more. So I'm just going to take another <laughs> silent break. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Um, freaking medicating children, controlling people. Uh, well, let's call yeah. the whole thing. Up. No, that's another <laughs> that's way. That's problem. an entire new another way of controlling and changing people that I didn't think of is the medi medically, medically altering their brain chemicals in ways that really psychologists and psychiatrists can't predict all the time. They're like, oh, oh, wow, look at that. <laughs> There's this uh, East Texan philosopher called Rick Roderick. He died years ago, but he had this great line where he goes, the thing is, is Marx always said that religion was the opiate of the masses. The thing is now opium is the opium of the masses. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you ever go Classic. to the, the, the subreddit, um, are opiates? No. It, it, I went, so I think it's gone now because Reddit started banning problematic subreddits. Um, but in the, when we were in college, I guess so 2007 through like 2015, it was a very active subreddit full of people basically trading advice on how to more effectively do opiates. Um, <laughs> and they had an entire weird, oh had a weird culture that celebrated opiates. Um, yeah. they were, and they would be like talking, comparing how many bars of Xanax they, well, Xanax, I guess it's not an opiate, but they would just be yeah. trading drug tips like crazy. Um, yeah, well, we had peers in our class who were very much a part of this culture. Yeah. At like the height of the, of the, uh, Sackler Purdue, um, opiate. Yeah. The crisis. Oxycontin era. I, I, I want to name that guy as much as possible. <laughs> the Sackler Purdue oh. opiate crisis of 2000 of the. Uh, early 2010s. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's sackers. kind of always been there. I was a sort of ne'er-do-well teenager. Uh, I was a little bit, I mean, I, I, you know, I was, you know, part of my libertarian streak is I did a lot of drugs. And, um, you know, one of the, like, and for, but it was more party drugs. It was speed, um, ecstasy, those kinds of things. And for a lot of us, especially the nerdier ones, like, do you guys remember Arrowhead? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I love Arrowhead. So it's basically yeah. the same concept as you go in and then they go, okay, you do this, you know, this is how you crush a pill or this is how you, you know, do a water extraction to get the oxy out of the T3 or, you know, like that was, that was I feel like that's been part of the internet almost like Reddit, The Reddit was different than Arrowhead. I was on it. I was a heavy user of Arrowhead. I did a lot of uh, psychedelic drugs, um, but uh, yeah. The opiate I, I love subreddit. the experience stories. The like Arrowhead at least had a veneer of like we're all psychonauts on an exploration right. journey, and the opiate users were like, "I love to pass out." <laughs> yeah, let's. Yeah. I would rather hang out 
for an extended period of time with fish fans than with Lou Reed fans. Well, you'd just be asleep uh, and dying. Well, so my friend, uh, the guy I actually talked about the first time I was on the show, uh, who I, you know, a, a person, the only person who went full right wing that I actively tried to de-radicalize and failed. Um, but he also had an opium problem, uh, an opiate problem, not an actual, he didn't have a big long pipe uh, that was, you know, lit in a den. But he, and and he was like trying to get sober at that time. Uh, and he told me a story and he was so proud of it too. And he was like, oh man, it was great. Me and my buddy, we had some oxys and we found this hot chick at the bar and she came back with us. And then she let us do lines off her ass. And then we both leaned up against the wall and fell asleep. And I was like, good story. <laughs> yeah, it's always like, and then what'd you do? <laughs> oh, yeah. okay. Uh, yeah, not, 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 and then she robbed you because you like, were in a coma. Uh, it's funny how all Oxy stories end the same way. And then we fell asleep. <laughs> well, there's a, there's this Ricky Gervais show that came out. Um, well, I watched during the pandemic. Um where his like his wife has died and he's really sad and bitter and um he basically meets a heroin addict and then buys him a bunch of heroin and then the guy dies and then he's kind of like oh look at that <laughs> like and i'm just like what wow what a crazy thing to happen in a show what is this show called is, uh, it's on netflix what? uh ricky gervais i have to look it up ricky gervais show yeah, Ricky Gervais doesn't he's not doesn't seem like the most compassionate mister on earth. Yeah, you know, well this is the show where I think Ricky Gervais he saw Fleabag and was like, I can do a fleabag. I can do fleabag <laughs> better than fleabag. <laughs> yeah, I mean he was always awful. Except like at least when he was fat, it could be like, Oh, he's a fat guy making fun of fat guys, but you're like, Oh no, your stick is just being mean to everyone. This show is good though. It's called Afterlife. It is good. I think you should watch everyone should watch it because it it is shocking. He's he's not a nice guy at all in it. I mean, he's a fucked up and broken guy who's mean to everyone and there's these nice people that surround him and are kind of like, what is, why are you doing this? So it kind of has some, some relevant issues because it's, it's just the worst guy you can imagine who's had a horrible thing happen to him. And it's like, is he going to change? And not to give it away, but a nice lady comes into his life and uh, it's just, you know, all, all these guys need is just a nice lady, a nice old lady to talk this to. Is a nice lady. It's not a sexual no, thing. Not... It's just a nice old lady to talk to who sits on a bench in the cemetery with you and you can tell her your feelings. It's basically he finds a good therapist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, find a therapist that doesn't cost nothing. Right. He found a free therapist. And so his answer to, to, to dealing with trauma is like find a great free therapist in the cemetery where your wife is buried. I mean, that's how a lot of people treat their romantic relationships. Mm. I mean, especially, you know, straight men, you know, they, I mean, it's a cliche, but, you know, and, and you know, the kind of hall, the halls of gender studies, we often talk about, you know, one of the few advantages you really get as a woman in our society is that you get to talk about your feelings. Uh, and the only people that a lot of men get to be able to talk about their feelings with are the, the one woman that they have designated as uh, their one. And then that creates uh crippling codependency that leads to a bunch of terrible scenarios uh mm -hmm. and that leads me to my point which is i think that you know 
part of why you know i think you know should we hug nazis you know going back to my earlier point like why why are there nazis why are there radicalization and i think that you know there are a lot of <laughs> lonely sad people and they're more mm -hmm. atomized more lonely and that creates you know and i think that there is a you know that might be a solution too you know i'm less, you know maybe i'm taking it off topic but i <laughs> no, think no no you're right no you're right it's Eleanor yeah. Rigby too. All <laughs> of the lonely folks are Nazis. Dun 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 dun. dun, dun. Uh, but um, yeah, and uh, you know, uh, it, you know, your comparison to prison, Stephen, is apt because why do people join the Aryan Brotherhood? Yeah, for security. That's yeah. that's sort of it. Well, okay, um, that's. <laughs> <laughs> that's different. No, I mean in in prison. You that's know why different. are people motivated? They're not. It's not because they're so lonely in jail that they got to join the Aryan Brotherhood. It's different. Well, well, you know, but no, no. This I'm feeling really sad. I'm not able to relate to anyone. Ah, these guys are nice. But in a way, yeah, it's the loneliness is expressed through violence. If you are alone, if you are literally a unit of one in prison, you cannot function. Uh, so it becomes a uh, much more. Um, real there in a way whereas you know the isolation in regular society is a lot more thinky um but literally if you are alone in prison and you know you're not the scariest motherfucker around you're gonna die so you have to you have to find some sort of group or ideology to stick yourself to in order to not die and it works similar in society where it's like if if you don't have some sort of motivating factor or you know group or community uh, it becomes a lot more difficult to live. I'd just be like and, uh, Christopher Maloney in Oz. <laughs> That's who I just chaos, just like a weird, psychosexual, insane predator guy. Just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't say a lot for me that that was very uh, important to my psychosexual development. That character—he's uh, great. Oh, that I love yeah. that show. No, I was like, am I gay? Also, why am I allowed to watch this? Yeah, no, no, you should not have been allowed to watch it. <laughs> you should be eighteen until you can watch Oz. Oh I was my not, god, I was definitely not eighteen. But you know, I think uh, Alex is still making a decent point, which is like. Which I'm not, I'm not, sorry, I didn't mean that sounded very uh, demeaning. No, no, it like, is. I, my point, I did phrase it horribly. Yeah. So I guess. Um, but you know, I think that in a lot of ways, the internet is a prison of the mind for people. Mm. And uh, going back, I think these incels and uh, the people that Peterson, that faction, uh, that you know, that other polarity, is that you know they have they feel aggrieved like that their their loneliness is weaponized against them and be, and by being lonely and uh, by you know. We all want to be in groups. It's a lot easier to be manipulated when you're alone than when you have a community. And this is off, both weakens them and then offers them something in return and then says, this is someone else's fault. These women are doing it to you because they blah, 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 blah. And nobody ever tells them the real truth, which is, you know, I'm going to steal this line from Hassan Piker. If you're a straight dude, if you just like bathe, pluck the weird things out of your face, and like maybe do a push-up once in a while you're a seven like you do, it is you let, <laughs> for the, the bar of entry is not high it anybody can get laid even you know the most you know troll like you know basement dweller they can get laid uh and so and i think you know there is a you know part of a de-radicalization project might be actually be you know Teaching people how to have friends. Like, I don't think Peterson's an idiot for saying, put it on your pants, make your bed. It will make you feel better. 
Yeah. He's, his, uh, yeah. His rules are pretty good um, uh, some, sometimes. Um, the one rule, regular yeah. sex with your spouse, though. What the fuck is that about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, okay, you want to hear my hot, unformed take on incels that I'm that I'm just coming up with now? But as as a result, but what is the source of this loneliness? You know, why did these incels have this self perpetuating loneliness to begin with? And I would say this is a very feminist issue, because it is body dysmorphia. It all comes down to body dysmorphia. These um, incels think that they are so ugly that they're unlovable, um, and but also they take this view and put it on to women as well. They think women are so ugly. Women that are, are quote-unquote, in their league are so unlo- unlucky, they're unlovable. They can't get laid right. because, you know, the people who are in their league that they should be getting laid with, they, they deem them unworthy. and But they also deem themselves unworthy, too. So, um, and because we view body dysmorphia as a ladies' issue. Um, so I think, yeah, there is a feminist mm. element to it. That, 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 I don't think I'm well-versed enough in leftist politics. To I don't think I was around if this was ever discussed, because I know it has a phrase or a name. But how do we avoid having a society only run by the hot people? Because <laughs> that, that tends to happen because... Attractive people are biased in favor of other attractive people, and it's like an unwritten cabal that's going on that is under our noses where all the attractive people only hire other attractive people, and ugly people get to sh- get shit on. But you can't... Mm. <laughs> I mean, is plastic surgery for everyone mandatory now? Is, is that it's, true? It's, it's not the hot people. It's not the hot people, Stephen. I'm going to push back. It's the tall people. It's the tall people. Think about the most effective presidents in history. Mm-hmm. Abraham Lincoln, Lyndon Johnson, very tall men. Well, the, prob- the reason why the left can't get a foothold in America is there's no leftists above six foot six. Where are our tall kings? Okay. Our tall leftist kings? I just want to address, Jay said, is that true? And I said, that's very interesting coming from a hot person. Well, oh. I was going to say, I don't have a lot of uh, stake in this game. I have <laughs> literally been hired to be a go-go boy at a gay, at a gay dance party, like, <laughs> not that long ago. Um, but there is a... Uh, but I do, like, I think if you think of the people who, were, like, really ran, you know, or the deep state people, you know, your Henry Kissingers, your, you know, your Richard Nate, like, they're all the... It's almost like the evil with it's like Star Wars, the evil within the malforms mm. their faces. The people who really run the Mark Zuckerberg is not a handsome man. No. <laughs> uh, Elon Musk is not a sexy man. Yeah. These are troll face like behemoths. Um, I, but I'd I fuck Jack think, Dorsey. I'd fuck the shit out of Jack Dorsey. I yeah, think I'd he's fuck hot. Jack Dorsey hmm. too. Yeah. Even the beard, uh, the gross beard. Yeah, especially the beard. Especially yeah. the gross beard. He looks like he looks fragile. <laughs> I want to take. I want to. I want to stroke him. Be like, it's okay, Jack. I know you're in over your head. It's he's okay. A, a tiny leathery baby. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I just. Uh, he looks like a peanut. I just want to kiss him. Uh, <laughs> But I do think, I think part of it is also like the isolating factor. Yes, I agree with you, Alex, that it is mirroring your own body, you know, self-hatred out into the world. Uh, I think that's kind of true of most of this stuff. But I do also think a lot of it is technologically mediated, right? Like I think mm. that, listen, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm se- super, as sex positive as you can be. Uh, but I do think that porn has also contributed to a lot of this, mm. especially oh, in, yeah. you know, you know, like if you're sitting and watching a bunch of like, 
12 inch, you know, guys like with six packs railing, you know, all these women who are plastic surgery up and that becomes your, especially from a very young age, like, you know, I had, back in my day, I had to wait for my mom to get off the phone to get, you know, and 30 minutes to see Sailor Moon's tits. Uh, like, but you know, it's just so much. And it's like, even, you know, when I broke up with my boyfriend, I was watching a lot of porn and like, I had to stop for because like, I was like, my, it's hurting my brain. I have to take, and I'm a 30 year old man who can, you know, control this stuff. 13 year old boy, 14 year old boy, by the time, you know, he might even want to be having sex, he's already made himself crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I guess I've, I've always une- left porn unexamined. Uh, for fear of what I might find about my own psyche. Um, and but my- you also said Sailor Moon, too, uh, which I think is interesting. <clears throat> the first uh, porn image I saw... Just, yeah. The first porn image I saw was, a hentai, was the cover of a hentai website because we didn't have a credit card to get in, and it was Goku from Dragon Ball Z fucking uh, Serena from Sailor Moon. But I think I was like 10 or 11, and so she was... Um, drawn as having a penis of her own and that was kind of like the thing but we didn't quite understand so we thought his penis was coming out the other side of her right <laughs> like like a button loop yeah okay and, uh, yeah but yeah. yeah but further to hentai uh hentai is part of it too mm. because these are even more ridiculously idealized bodies that get into you when you're very young because you know you like think of all the fucking like furry fetishists uh, where that shit definitely comes from Tiny Toons. <laughs> that shit definitely comes from, you know, they, they accidentally rubbed their penis during Tiny Toons one day, and that was it. They were a furry forever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, another point, a point that I want to get back to is, like, I, I do want to, speaking of the original tweet that started us all, the, the pushback to that is... I don't think any everyone should be expected to attempt to de-radicalize even right-wing people because, you know, I'll use an extreme example. Hey, recently hate crime Sally, want to go to the Adam Waffen convention, you know, and, and you know, give out some flyers. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. I think that was the sentiment that people were pushing back, that everyone on the left is responsible for doing this. And this is... Um, not only morally necessary, but the most morally necessary thing to do. Hmm. Yeah. I I think, but I think we can reframe it, right? Because I do think, I, you know, I think a lot of leftists, this, this is their critique of liberalism, and I don't think we want to go <laughs> into that, but like uh, nothing that we talk about in terms of left political projects are individualistic, right? Like, no, not every single leftist needs to put in their three hours a week of de-radicalizing that or the right wing guy at the end of their apartment building but i think uh, to talk collectively as like i think one of the projects of us as a political movement should be maybe not de-radicalizing specific rightists but putting something in place that uh will that basically stops the recruitment so even if we're not un brainwashing people we still need to do something to stem the tide of people becoming brainwashed which right. involves our own propaganda because campaign. we know they are trying to convert people and what as i was saying what we need to do above all is stop what they're doing we got to figure out a way to stop it um even if we don't engage in doing it back because uh, they won't grow um if we stop them from growing so how do we do that how do we and uh yeah I think we've actually talked think, about some good some good ways already. 
But I also think, you know, it's also going to the same, like, you have to go to the same places. You got to keep, you got to be, keep trying to get the same people because, yeah, maybe you, maybe it is impossible to de-radicalize, but a lot of people are not fully radicalized yet. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are just dipping their toe in the water. And those are the people I think we should be focusing on because, frankly, they're up for grabs. And if they're grabbed by us, then they won't go to them. That's the stop. Yeah. And I, I do think those people actually probably do represent a greater share of of people than people who are like fully committed to uh you know sargon of akkadism let's call it right <laughs> carlism pure carlism <laughs> um there was another tweet just to bookend this we're almost up to our usual 90 minutes uh there was another tweet by twitter classic respectable lawyer where he was arguing um i'm just going to paraphrase here that it's more or less easier I, actually, I'll pull up the tweet uh, because the, he uses a very specific phrasing, one which did alienate a lot of people, so it's worth talking about. Uh, respectable lawyer. Respectable lawyer. Uh, uh, happy daylight savings time, everyone. Uh, uh, I was surprised. Hopefully the last one. I, I didn't know. I was I was like, wow, it's ele- wowie zowie. It's 11 a.m. My gosh. Oh, boy, what I... What a Sunday. <laughs> and then I went back to bed. So Yeah, I more or less did the same thing. I'm like, it's nine o'clock already. Well, I can't wait till it's noon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, with the, the just the pre- the passing of time ever marches onward. Oh, my COVID schedule has been crazy because especially because I teach online and everything's pretty erratic and I don't really do a lot of mornings. Like on a day off, like I will go to bed at 5 a.m. and wake up at 1 p.m. That's just the way my brain works these days. Yeah, well, it's okay. I think um, the sleep schedules that we have, like <laughs> the, the farm-centric sleep schedule, it's why is that so hard to get rid of? I I don't understand why, but it's funny. It's like we're play acting a sleep schedule. Now that everyone works from home, why aren't half the companies open at night and the other half during the day? I don't think it's a bad idea. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. insurance companies should be open at night. Doctors offices <laughs> should be open at night so that half the cuz you try to get an appointment at a doctor's office or set up a new insurance plan during the day if you have a job because insur- insurance companies are open the exact same hours that you're working right so there you go that's your new business night insurance yeah i think it, w- I think it would do nights. great because insurance after dark at the insurance company you come into a bajillion voicemails of people like driving home from work getting into an accident uh- <laughs> <laughs> they're getting into the accident as they're calling the i'm getting into an oh accident right now so i call no you. <laughs> that happened that, that this old man called me from a freeway i could hear road the cars whizzing by and he's like i was just in an accident the car rolled over and i crawled out and you're the first person i called and, and i'm like why why why'd you call me i'm a customer service guy what about your loved ones? And I'm like, okay, sir, your loved ones? ambulance. Sir, is there anything else that I can help you with today? Because I have to ask you that. Now call 911. Uh, uh, man. Uh, so I found the tweet. The tweet is by a respectable lawyer. I've been seeing a lot of leftists think murderers can be rehabilitated, but not alt right people, lol. 
And the truth is, both can be rehabilitated, rehabilitated. But the murderer is usually easier because that's often the result of treatable mental illness and being alt-right usually isn't. So that was, uh, you know, part of this conversation, mm. part for and part of the discourse this week. And there was a lot of pushback to this. People also got upset with this tweet um, because, you know, um, but for many re- This one, I had less... I didn't understand why people got upset at this tweet. Because I was going to say, all, what is the controversy? Yeah, because to me, all he was saying is that it is easier to make murderers not murder again than it is to get someone's deep-seated political beliefs out of them, which I think is true, because, like, most murders are accidental or crimes of passion, you know, uh, you know stuff like that. Which, mm-hmm. Yeah, circumstance, you know. Uh, so it's like, that's how is that statement... I, what actually what people took real umbrage with is murder as a result of treatable mental illness. That was because it was like, I guess people because they wear their mental illnesses as identities now. It's like if people use that word in a derogatory sense or right. a perceived derogatory sense, like it catches it catches heat. Well, there's but, um, there's this weird saying that I've heard that it's like <laughs> to commit murder you have to be insane. And I don't but think it's I don't true. Know about that. I do not think that's, no, that's true at all. I think to commit murder is a human thing that unfortunately happens, and we have to like stop it from happening. But it's like mm-hmm. I mean, what is this? This sounds. This is like a Patrick Bateman type statement. I think like Patrick mm-hmm. Bateman had perfect politics. <laughs> if you remember, he wanted to say <laughs> he has perfect politics for his. Like he makes sure of it. He's like, I practice right. my politics every day. Are you like, are you kidding? My politics are 100% perfect. And he goes around murdering people. Um, yeah, I find that to be a somewhat offensive uh, take. I posted a photo, a, a GIF of Patrick Bateman t- um, <laughs> to that, being like, I guess I'm just a fucked up guy. Uh, <laughs> well, one thing I take umbrage with in that statement is not necessarily because I think you know. I, yeah, I agree that there's an identity politics of mental illness that is probably that is not good. Like, you know, I'm not going to go on the ID poll track, but like, I think generally it's like it's like, yeah, actually being mentally well is better than being mentally ill. And the reason you go to your therapist is to be less mentally ill. And it's, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, the thing I take umbrage with is that, like, maybe a lot of this alt right stuff is, too. You know, again, yeah. the people who are if if we say that violence is, you know, we say that you know poverty is basically the cause of violence because people had access to proper health care and housing and blah 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 that we would have much less violence and i think that's probably true with you know right-wing radicalism mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like you know these people are not you know going to the doctor they're not you know eating good food they're not living in you know getting sunlight you know like these things that actually like you know you'd be a lot less full of rage if you like maybe didn't it ate something other than Lay's potato chips and Mountain Dew, and like maybe it got a little well butrid. But yeah, but aren't there think... aren't there well adjust or weren't there well, very like well adjusted Nazis in Germany who who had love? <laughs> That's who, a weird phrase. No, I mean that like, like who had a yeah. full family whose children loved them and they did horrible things anyway. Yeah, that's the banality of evil, but I don't, I think that, I mean, I think I'm just focusing on one very particularly susceptible part of society that, mm-hmm. you know, if we're talking about Young, the stopgap. And younger people too, right? Yeah. And younger yeah. people, okay. right? Uh, and yeah, so I think those things actually seem very similar to me, uh, as, yeah. you know. 
But also uh, why I think this this comparison doesn't track, why why just the, the tweet is just doesn't really make sense is because you're comparing two inherently different things. You know, a murder is an action, whereas uh, uh, saying someone alt-right is a belief, you know, it's easy to get someone to not do something again, to not do a distinct thing again, but it's harder to get someone to, you know, maybe Patrick Bateman just this. believed in murder. <laughs> <laughs> well, Richard Ramirez, some people do. Yeah. Uh, well, some people are gentlemen, committed to it. Final thoughts. Final thoughts. Yeah, it's good. Try if you have the wherewithal to do it, try and try and appeal to conservative people. Try and de-radicalize people. If someone's in your family and you think you can get to them, you know, it's worth trying. Don't break your back over it. And But also, if you're, like, not equipped to do that, if you're particularly sensitive yeah. uh, to these people, uh, you should not be expected to try and de-radicalize them because your, your emotional, uh, st- your emotional uh, stability should be preserved over the need to convert them. That's Only because you might prove useful to society later, not because of any sense of you being worth anything. I just want to make that clear. <laughs> no, just, but also because, you know, you don't, if you, if this makes you, su- I don't want people to force themselves to suffer. I was joking. I was even joking. if it is to do something expedient. And well, I, I'm going to agree with that statement, but I, you know, I will also say that just because there is something that you don't personally want to do also does not mean that that emotional reactions means that you should try to impede other people from doing it. Uh, and I think that's a lot of what's going on here is that like, just because you may not, not be in a position to do this and it might make you feel bad, I think it, it is in, indisputable that this is, has to be part of a left political project. Otherwise it's just, then, then that political project is just masturbation. Because you, if we're not trying to convince other people that we have the best idea, then we're just talking to each other about how smart we are. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, well, also buy well, the Baldo. All... Buy the Baldo. <laughs> <laughs> buy the Baldo. Where's Baldo? It's in your it's in your asshole.